Kathy shows. Yes. My good friend. <laughs> We're so glad you're here. Yeah. And uh, I think we, I think it's a divine appointment. I think it's a Kairos moment, which we're going to talk about today. Um, the word Kairos is a Greek word. And uh, you felt like when you got the text from me that it was that you were supposed to say yes, even though you don't want to. <laughs> Typically <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't want to very much so. be on a mic with a camera very, in front very of you. Very much so. Yes. So that's okay. <clears throat> yeah. So um, you were you were emailing me while I was texting you, right, right, and uh, about a topic that um, it's, it's one of the most encouraging uh, things that we had both read from different sources, right? Yeah, right. And it's about Saint Augustine. Yes, and we'll talk about that in just a minute as well. But first of all. Um, Tell me about anything you want to tell me about. What are you doing these days? What are your kids doing? Oh, Husband? Goodness. <laughs> um, I have four kids. Um, mostly grown now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, just doing life, trying to get people through college and out into the world. Yeah. Um, David's getting close to retirement, so... Got okay. a lot of that going on. And he's um, a pilot. He's a pilot, yeah. Um, and uh, as y'all know, I, you know, wrote my first young adult novel. Yeah. Um, I don't know, a year ago uh-huh. or so. Time's flying by. I'm working on the sequel. Okay. Um, what, tell the name and where you can find the book. Oh, oh, the, the book's called... It actually has a long title. It's, it's called Stumped. Yeah. And then the subtitle is um, a real book, Property of Walter Stipes. Yeah. Um, it's told in first person by the character of Walter Stipes. Um, and you can find it on, just on my website, stumpedthebook.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, also Barnes & Noble. Really? Okay. Yes, but you have to type in the whole <laughs> The whole name, <laughs> the not whole just name. Stumped. Yes, unfortunately, it doesn't come up with just stumped. Um, so stumpedthebook.com. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. But um, I went to your website. It, it, you've done a good job with it. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, I had That's to good. hire that out, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to do anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it. Well, did you always know you were going to be a writer? No. Um, no, started out a uh, dancer. Um, ballet. Ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my whole world, my whole life. Never pictured anything else until um, my senior year in high school. Um, decided I would go to college. But even then, no. Um, and we were just talking earlier. I really didn't even read books until I was into college. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know when or how that came about, but how you became a, a writer and interested, you know, more into reading. And but you know, ballet that'll take over your life, right? So yeah, that was your high school experience was mostly just right. training and right performing. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But um, I don't know. I guess when the kids were little, I started writing, um, like, children's picture books. But, of course, there was never an illustrator there to flesh that out. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's where it started. Yeah. Um, so. And you, um, I know one of your daughters is very creative. Yes. She's an artist. Yes. Yes. And she. Is she, what does she do? I mean, I know she's grown and working, right? Yeah, Anna, um, Anna just finished, um, she just graduated from Stanford with mm-hmm. um, an interior design degree. And she, um, yeah, she's a, she's an amazing artist. She, I mean, she studied piano. She was also into dancing. Um, actually, she's one of the big reasons we moved here because she was at the in the music program at ASFA, um, just for one year. Then she went to Mountain Brook and High School. And what does that stand for? Uh, what does ASFA stand for? Um, Alabama School of Fine Arts. Okay, I didn't know that she went there. Um, just for one year. Okay. But it was a big deal. She got accepted into the piano program. That was, yeah, was that a big deal. A really big deal. Um, yeah. And that would kind of, we were looking at a couple of different cities to move to at the time. So that kind of made and that our decision. Brought you here. Yeah, wow. it did. Even though it didn't last, it is what brought us here. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, she can draw. She can, it's, she's very talented. Yeah. Um, well, tell, give me a synopsis of your spiritual journey. Hmm. Um, gosh, okay. So raised in a Christian family. Um, in Jacksonville? No, I, pretty much. Well, my dad was in the Army. We, we lived okay. everywhere. Um, it's a long list. Um, but went to junior high and high school in Orlando. Okay. Um, and then... Um, Really didn't. I mean, you know, had that, you know, walk the aisle, get baptized thing, I guess probably when I was 14, but that was really just to um, get that monkey off my back because of all that pressure you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and your parents keep looking at you every time there's an altar call. Um, <laughs> so I just went, but um, really didn't, really wasn't saved until um, a year after I was married. So like mm-hmm. 22, 23 years old, I got married young. Um, and then, um, but then it was, it was when um, William was graduated from high school. So in '09, so just before we moved here, um, just really, just so I'd always. I mean, I really was like, I mean, like I went to church all the time, read my Bible all the time, and everything. But just reached this crisis point where I'm just. I mean, I was just desperate for. I don't know what. I mean, something something real about it. Something, I, it's hard to put it into words, but I was just desperately crying out to God for, um, I would just feel like I was just lacking so much, lacking mm-hmm. the joy, lacking like-minded friends, just lacking mm-hmm. the church just wasn't ever satisfying. I, I don't know. I just, anyways. And about... Where was this in your life? You know, how old were you? Yes, this was in 09. So um, we moved here when I was. <laughs> no, I'm going to get my age away. Moved here when it's I was okay. f- when I was 45. Um, so I'm 45 um, and having this come apart. Um, and anyways, we we came here um, largely because of Anna's um, acceptance into the music program. 
And the first thing I did was sign up for um, a live small group. And oh. I'd never, so in a way, I met you right away, but didn't really, yeah, you know, met your writing. Life was I met, a program that I had, had would, written. That you had written. I'd done the. So know, I met you. Thing. I met you as an author, like the first week yeah, I got here. Yeah. But of course, yeah. it was years later before I actually met you. Um, Isn't that interesting? I, I mean, it, and that 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 small group um, just delivered me from so many. I mean, it was. I mean, yeah. it was everything that it promised. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, so, um, and then years later, I actually got to actually meet you. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, you've just played such a huge part in 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 my spiritual growth, um, even years before we met. Yeah, which is really yeah. Amazing. I, I remember meeting you, and, I, and this was probably about ten years ago. And you're like, I'm I'm finally meeting you, and I was like. <laughs> I'm the Wizard of Oz. I mean, it's like <laughs> you're acting like I'm meeting somebody, and I'm like, you know, I, I just remember that moment. Uh, you, I mean, you're just being honest. It was like you, you had done that that program that I had developed, and all yeah. of that, and uh, and I know that's and that was that was a huge thing. There were thousands of people who did that that right. thing, you know, and uh, but. As for me, you know, I was just this mom at home, you know, doing my thing, and uh, God just used it. He just he used really it. Did. So he really did. Then um, when we met, uh, you, t- your two younger kids, right? Um, your two older kids were already in college. Yeah, they were already older. They, yeah. but her kids. Younger kids, Leah and John, were in children's church with Life Springs Church, okay. which we were all part of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time, you were probably pregnant. Hannah, had a call, you're baby. A, yeah. Maybe you weren't even pregnant yet. I don't no, know. No, we had, she was a baby baby, just set, yeah. up, set up there in like a carrier. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> up in the bonus room of Bill and Bonds. Yeah, that's right. Home church. Yeah. Um, and you helped with the kids as well as all of us. We all took turns, right. and um, I really enjoyed your kids. They are just like you in some <laughs> ways, you know, just uh, honest and listen. And they they're deep thinkers. They don't fit in a box, but they can go anywhere, you know. And, and <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's quite a. Uh, a package of somebody where you you can sort of be in it but not of it. Mm-hmm. And interesting. I, you don't see that? No, I um, no, I do. I guess yeah. I just it's interesting that that somebody sharp else kids. would. They're very sharp. Yeah, and then I got to have a little stint with Leah uh, a couple of years ago when I did that. Yes. That when she was a senior in high school. That's right. Now That's she's right. in college, and John is probably graduated by now. Mm-hmm. No, he's not. John's still in college. Okay, <laughs> I don't even know. I forget the ages. No, he's um, he's in the flight program at Auburn. And oh, okay. I mean, they say it's four years, but it's not. It's it's going to take longer than that. Takes longer. Than yeah. That. So he's going to be a pilot as well. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. is a pilot? I guess he actually he is. I mean, it's amazing. He has a he has a. Um, oh, I know he has a private pilot's license. Yeah. You're a brave woman to have a husband and a son flying airplanes. 
That's not what scares me. If that was all they did, it's the motorcycles that scare. Oh, the mo- they both ride motorcycles. Both ride motorcycles. Okay, that's what. Yeah, I wonder if a lot of pilots also ride motorcycles. Um, yeah, I guess they do tend to do more adventurous things. Yeah. Yes. No fear. Yes. <laughs> well, um, I do have a couple of topics I wanted to to cover today, and I thought it was really interesting because you know how I do this. The first one actually comes from July of 2020, my prayer notes for that day, which uh, this one is, I, I think both both of the topics that I had for today, one was from uh, 2020, and then the other was from this year, this week, you know, just this past week. Um, they really kind of dovetail with each other. And I love it when that happens. Um, there were lots of other topics I could have chosen. But the first one is really kind of the, the way I started praying when um, grace was revealed to me and how being the righteous daughter of God being, you know, as the scriptures say, as Jesus is, so am I in this world, that I could go boldly before the throne of grace and, and you know, that uh, it is not my righteousness. You know, it's not, I, I'm not in right standing with God because of anything I've done. I can't not be in right standing with God because of anything I've done, you know. Uh, it's not about the doing. It's, it's the fact that it's already done. You know, that Jesus did it. And um, so my expectation level has risen, but the way that I go about prayer is from a perspective of the finished work. And therefore, I can expect even more than my mind can imagine. So that's kind of what I wanted to uh, open up with and... I remember this week three years ago, and I really got stuck on the question that Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? And he asked that question twice in uh, Mark 10. The first time was to his disciples who were discussing amongst themselves who was going to be the greatest in this coming kingdom. So they were Totally misunderstanding. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, you don't know what you're asking because they, they want to know, who. You know, can we sit with you at your right hand in your kingdom? And he's like, you have no idea what you're asking. But honestly, he granted that request. It's just that they didn't realize what lay ahead for them, you know, with persecution and, and what he would, he would have to do. By going to the cross. But the other was when Bartimaeus was on the side of the road and Jesus and his disciples were coming down the road. And he says, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's blind. He doesn't say, will you heal me? But he knew Jesus had been healing people. And Jesus didn't just go heal him. He asked the question, same question he asked his disciples who were talking, you know. 
He said, what do you want me to do for you? So there's something in the asking. It isn't just about worshiping him or even asking for him to have mercy on us. There's a literal, like, tell me specifically what you want me to do for you. And then he said, I want to see. And then Jesus said, you know, may it be done according to your faith. And Bartimaeus was healed instantly. So that just, I've been on this for, I don't know, many years now. But that week, I just remember that question popping off the page to me. And Jesus saying to me, I want you to ask, Tricia, specific. You can't go into too great a detail for me to not give you what you're asking for and know what you're talking about. Like, I know the number of hairs on your head. I, I'm into the details. So that so your prayer list can be a mile long. I know about every single bit of it before you even ask me. But please ask me. There's something in the answer. You know, he says, what do you want? Mm-hmm. I always think of things in terms of like the parent and the child. You know, when your child's just having a come apart on the floor, what do you want? And, like, if you have to gather yourself together and say, okay, let me, like, what really is bothering me or what what really is at the root of this, of my needs? And if you, you know, begin to put it into words, um, you know, then it comes out more like what's, what's, what's the priority of your heart when you actually have to say it in words. And don't you think that when... You express it to God, it builds your faith. I feel like it does. Yeah. Because our requests of God are actually expressions of dependency on him. Mm -hmm. And the more dependent we are on him, the more faith we have. And like you say, the details come out. Mm. It's like, you know, like specifically this is... What I'm you have to be fully transparent right there yeah. and fully mm-hmm. open and honest. Yeah. So you yeah. have to come before him and lay truly like what is on your heart. You have to show him that, yeah. show him all your cards, so to speak. Yeah. Yes. And then when there's that transparency, he's always transparent with us. But when we have that ability to be transparent with him, mm-hmm. it just deepens your faith so much more. Okay, I can say these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. had a situation a couple of years ago with our daughter, and she had this just childhood thing. I had never heard of it until I had kids, molescum. But all the kids okay. at our school had this thing called molescum, and it was just like a rash of warts. Okay. And it's truly, it's just a virus, but yeah. it lasts for months and months and months before it goes away. And one day I just told the Lord, I was like, I'm so sick of dealing with this, but at the end of the day, it's not really, an, it's a non-issue. This is not life-threatening. It's not going to harm her. It is not an issue, and I feel ridiculous asking for you to heal her of this because it's not, it's not really an issue, but I'm just tired of dealing with it. Yeah. And he said to That's me, issue. he right. said to me, he said, does it matter to you? And I said, yeah, it does. Even though it's really superficial, it does. It matters to me. Yeah. And he goes, well, then it matters to me. I felt the Holy Spirit say, then it matters to me. Yeah. But to be able to truly have that kind of a transparency, because I think some so many times we always want to, I was trying to be so positive about it. It's not really an issue. This doesn't matter. She's so healthy. That And try to yeah. put it in positive perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what you were doing with 
with Jesus is you were being honest with him. Yes. You took the mask off. You're like, it is is, bothering me. It is bothering me. And I don't want these all over her face or all over her legs and her back. And I don't want them going any higher. I'm done. I just want to be done with it. Yeah. You know, and this is reminding me of the Syrophoenician woman who, if you read this story, she wanted to present herself as a son, a daughter of David, right? A, a, A Jewish person. Because, you know, those were the, you know, in her mind, the only people that could receive from from this God of this group of people, you know. And um, the disciples were trying to shoo her away, and, and she was kind of trying to beg that he would um, heal her daughter. The first thing he did with her, he was like, the... The bread, this is the children's bread. In other words, this is this is for the Jewish people. I'm here for the Jewish people. And she's like, well, even the dogs eat the crumbs from underneath the table. So he got her to a place of honesty. Like, you don't have to fake it with me. I know that you're, you're not one of this group, okay? And your faith, he, he said she had great faith to come to him and ask to heal her daughter, which the understanding was she had no right to do that. But, but she came boldly anyway, and he, he, she was not Jewish. The other person that had great faith, according to Jesus, was this centurion. He wasn't Jewish either. So I, I think that, you know, in our minds we think, well, only certain people Right. Right. Only certain people can ask for this or that. You know, the rest of us are on the outside. We don't qualify. And the first thing he requires of us is to be honest. Yes. Well, it's not that hypocrisy. It's not that I didn't feel like I didn't qualify. I felt like in my my need or want and desire at that moment Mm -hmm. didn't qualify to stop the Lord of the universe and say, hey, will you deal with this non-issue? Yeah. At the end, will you deal with this issue that at the end of the day is really a non-issue? But who are you to say it's not an issue? Exactly. Right? And that's where I just was met with, not with condemnation, but I was just met with yeah. just give me your heart. Does it matter to you? Right. Then it matters to right. me. That is my heart. You are my heart. Right. And I just, it was such a sweet and tender moment. Mm-hmm. But one of those, it was a paradigm shift in the way I, which I'm, where I'm constantly in paradigm shifting Mm-hmm. The way I relate, it's constant, constant in mm-hmm. prayers, but what a beautiful one of yeah. If it matters to me, I can bring it. I can yeah. talk to him about it. Yeah, yeah it, it resonates the same way. Because I, I was thinking about this morning about the the life group and how I met you as an author mm-hmm. first. Um, you know, I think that what what resonated the most with me with that was just this whole concept that you're not an orphan. I mean, that just yeah. I mean, you don't even realize you're carrying it around. And when someone just spells it out, you're like, that's exactly how I've been thinking about myself all mm-hmm. these years. And so it's the same, like, a little bit like what you're saying. Like, you kind of feel like you're maybe you're not important or this isn't valid. You're on the outside. Um, you're not a true son or daughter. Yeah. Um, that belongs in the house. You, you, be- you belong and you, your inheritance is every right. Mm-hmm. And every privilege, right? Everything of value, anything right. good, right. it's all yours, right. right? We inherit God Himself. That that that's what Romans eight says. Mm-hmm. So, 
whatever God is, that's and whoever God is, mm-hmm. is ours. Right. He gave His only Son, and if He didn't spare His only beloved Son, how will He not with Jesus freely give us all things? I measure it all by is this, you know, um, healing of greater value than Jesus? He gave you Jesus, right? Right. Is this, you know, whatever need we have for our kids? We pray for our kids all the time, number one, right? Mm-hmm. And is the deliverance or the provision or even the respect or success of our kids of greater value than Jesus? I mean, if he gave Jesus, you know, and how do we know if it's God's will for our kids to succeed, to walk with Jesus, to know him intimately? Well, because the word of God tells me that is God's will for every single person. Right. And our kids are given to us as a gift, which we talk about every single time, right? So they're ours, right? I mean, God's not going to take our kids away from us. They belong to him, and they belong to us. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, the title of that particular day was immeasurably more, part one, because I had more than one part to this. Um, but that was based on um, the phrase immeasurably more, which is in Ephesians 3.20 in the New Mer- New international version um but i y'all saw in your notes uh i i love ephesians 320 i I think i have it in six versions in these notes and um we talk about that scripture a lot but to me you know imagining what he can do he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine and this has also been just a pattern of my prayer is what can I imagine? Like, what can I already imagine? Well, he's going to do more than that. So let her, let her loose, you know, like go crazy in your imagination and receive those imaginations from him. Cause I, I believe he gives us those imaginations. The spirit gives us those, the spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of Jesus. And he opens up our heart and our, you know, spiritual mind to to see, to have eyes to see what his plans are. Um, Ephesians 3, Paul prayed that, and this is from the New King James, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in his love I put the word his in there because this is something you really do learn. The paradigm shift is that it's not about our love for him. It's about his love for us. And, uh, you know, in this is love. First John 4 says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So we become grounded, established in his love. And that we might be able to comprehend with all the saints. Comprehend, katalambano, to lay hold of, to seize upon, to take possession of for ourselves. What is the width, the length, 
the depth, the height of his love. To know this love of Christ, which passes knowledge, which I think is kind of an interesting because it's like an oxymoron. He says to know this love that passes knowledge, like to know something you can't possibly know. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And there again, filled with what? Filled with the fullness of God. And filled, the Greek word there means to abound, to furnish or supply liberally, to fill to the top so that nothing shall be wanting to make complete in every particular. I love that. That's in the Strong's Concordance. Every, to be complete. And that, that always reminds me of the word peace. Shalom. Completeness. Wholeness. In every particular. And to be filled with the fullness of God himself. And the modus operandi of that is to know the love to know it in every dimension, mm-hmm. the width of it. And I saw arms open wide. To know that love always, his arms are always open wide. There's nothing we could do to become undeserving of that. Because before we were even born, he said, I chose you, I planned you, you will always deserve my love. And then the depth of it is just the, uh, or first the length. The length, and what came to my mind with that is the length of your entire life. From the moment you were conceived to the moment you go home to be with Jesus, his love spans your life. His love was always with you, even when you didn't know it. Can't get away from his love. And then the depth of it, you know, just to the deepest parts of our innermost being, um, I think I feel like his love is revealed deeply. It's not just a surface thing like and and we we learn about it in in the maybe the darkest times mm-hmm. in the deepest valleys and trials um and then the height of it um and what always comes to mind is is the well, his ways are higher than our ways. You know, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But his thoughts are high. They're precious. Psalms 139, how precious are your thoughts towards me. They're good thoughts. And they're thoughts of love, never condemnation. So that whole idea was transferred into, because then once you grab hold of all of that and you go on to the next um, verse, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine, ask or think, according to the power that works within us, the power of his love that works within us. So that it just hit me years ago, okay, You know that you're accepted in God's presence. You know that you're loved unconditionally. So this is how you pray. This is how you approach God. It's first the first step. Receive love. Receive love. You know, know that there's not anything that this is an unconditional love demonstrated when, you know, Jesus died for us on the cross. That's the ultimate self-sacrificial love. He poured out his life for us. Great exchange there. Forgiven, fully forgiven. Receive it. 
And those strings, that kind of love, it's the only one, the only one who won't leave you. Mm-hmm. We all leave each other, don't we? <laughs> and when you're the only, you know, you're left all alone, there's one who's still there. Right. Is that bringing anything to mind? <laughs> <laughs> Too many. <laughs> Too many. <laughs> Too many, yeah. Um, yeah, those are the things that I was so greatly lacking when mm-hmm. I was crying out and happened at the same time when I moved here. Um, and those needs were so quickly met. You know, I mean, like when I cried out like that, I mean, I'm never so desperate. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he he just rushed in with all the answers, everything I needed. Wow. Um, everything I needed to hear, the people I needed to be with. I mean, just, it was amazing. But but all those things you just described, you know, when you don't have an understanding of that, you know, you can love God and, yes, Jesus is his son and all that, but if you don't, yeah. you haven't taken those things in, you're not full Mm. And you are lacking, and you're, you feel that. Well, do you think sometimes we look for love in all the wrong places? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what this world's all about, kingdom of man's all about. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, um, before this great awakening of the love of God for me, mm-hmm. um, my way of looking for that love was... Um, this list of to-dos to try to earn his love. Mm-hmm. And it for, for me, it was just this super spirituality. It, it, I wasn't like, I mean, it's the same thing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I know that, you know, I, you know the things that we do to try to be loved by people or, you know, this is how affairs start. This is, you know, if you're lacking, right? If you're lacking that right. love. Right. Um, but either, you know, you have this other love that you're desperately trying to get and that's the love of God, or it could all be happening at the same time. I mean, you you could be wanting man's approval and man's love and God's love. I mean, usually to me, it's a whole package of just mm-hmm. unfulfilled. You're just unfulfilled. And for, for me, I think the focus of my life and I, I did fill it with human relationships, you know, for sure. They were also people like me, very super spiritual. (laughs) (laughs) We're all just kind of feeding off of each other, you know, like one-upping each other on whatever we were seeing in the spirit or whatever and how much we were praying and, you know, how much we were doing for God and the activities that we were doing. And um, and that sort of created these bonds of friendship. But, Mm -hmm. But the worst was not feeling loved by God and um, also recommending to other people in my position of leadership that they, they do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Pray for, pray three hours a day, you know, get on, on that treadmill, work, 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 you know, get mm-hmm. in, serve. And, you know, so it, that was an overflow to, Hey, look at me, do it like I'm doing it. And, and they're not realizing I'm dying, mm-hmm. literally dying over here. But I still think that what I'm trying is going to work eventually. So I'm keeping on doing that. And in God's mercy, God's I, mercy. I 
fried. Yeah. Just flaked out. And um, learned what I, I'm just telling you, I had so many little fires that needed put out. There were so many problems on so many levels from living that lifestyle for so long. Every relationship probably needed some repair. You know, the whole my whole life was upside down. And so for every problem, I was trying to fix them each mm-hmm. with a method, with a strategy, with a 10 steps or whatever. And um, who would have thought all I needed was to see the cross, to see Jesus, to see the blood, that's all I needed to see. I, I, it was like every single issue was put into perspective. When I saw him, I saw what he did for me. I saw the great exchange. I saw who I really was in him. I saw his love for me. I saw it was finished. And then this is simple gospel. And and we we can we can I could take years and teach it verse by verse. And I love doing that. But the thing you just have to see is the cross. You just have to see what he did for you. Personally, you have to receive that. And that's the love. Mm-hmm. And um, But wouldn't you agree? Because I feel like for me to see, you know, like you just mentioned, all those little problems, all those little fires. But when I saw everything in light of the cross, mm-hmm. it then became not problems for me to solve or to work harder for or... It just literally became, could it go back to the immeasurably, immeasurably more? Yeah. Every situation became an instance where I could see the Lord work in immeasurably more greater yeah. than I could hope or imagine. Yeah. And I didn't even have to do any of the work. Yeah, he already did it. He already did it. Because this is what I'm seeing right now. You know, was there a relational problem? He took it on the cross. Yep. Was there a physical problem? He took it on the cross. Was there some sort of lack? He took all lack on the cross. He took all curses on the cross. You know, what? I have a million problems. He became a million problems. He literally became sin. Yes. And I don't know if you felt this way, but once I felt like I had gotten right perspective on what he did on the cross and what I could put on him mm-hmm. to have done on the cross, so to speak. So when he took just... I was a, I'm going to say this, I was a good person. I lived, I did all, the, I followed all the rules. So it wasn't like I was out living this wild life. Yeah. But I had so much shame because I felt like a farce yeah. on the outside because I knew in the inside I didn't really feel that. Even though I had right. checked all the boxes, I did everything right by everybody, so to speak. I didn't feel that. I felt such shame. So I walked around with such guilt, such shame all the time. But once I've had that right perspective and I put that on the cross, then relationships did become healthier because I wasn't acting. My relationships were no longer out of a place of pain, but out of a place of being completely loved. So therefore, I could allow his healing mm -hmm. for all of those areas of my life. Well, and the the healing does start with forgiveness. And for me, it was like I instantly had the ability. I remember taking people... Through in all these 
conferences and retreats that I had done prior to, prior to this great encounter that I had with Jesus, I this was part of of the routine was to have everybody in whoever was there, all the people, you know, close their eyes and try to think of every single person that they were offended, you know, who had offended them and that they needed to forgive. And so, and I would have them whisper that person's name into the palm of their hand, okay? And then I would horribly, I mean, I would just put so much guilt on them, but like, you know, if you can't forgive this person, then God's not going to forgive you. Well, you know what, at post-cross, what Paul says, he says, forgive as you have been forgiven. Now we can forgive. And instead of, it, it became a work to forgive rather than an outflow of the forgiveness I had received. So it was all backwards. So it was the wrong perspective. Mm-hmm. But but I'm telling people to do that, and I can't even do it myself. I'm whispering names into the palm of my hand, and I'm like, here we go. Ten, I, how many times have I done Ten times? You know, and it's like, keep on whispering that name in the palm, and it's like, I still can't forgive that person. And then I'm telling you, this one encounter with Jesus, everybody's forgiven. It's just like all of a sudden I knew what Jesus had done for me. And it it isn't about what kinds of sins you've committed. That's right, not right, it. Right. It's not about, oh, you know, I was such a bad person. No, right. it, it's about him. It's about he took my sin nature. Yes. Top to bottom. I mean, there's nothing I can do. All those bad things that my strong will maybe had kept me from doing, I still did them in my heart. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so, and that's why I felt what like... leg did I have to stand Well, on? that's why I felt like such a farce for so many years. Yeah. was because even though I did right by everybody, so to speak, around yeah, me, right. in my heart of hearts, I didn't feel... Like, I didn't do want to do right by them. I didn't. Yeah. And so, but when I saw what Jesus had done on the cross, what he had taken, yeah. it just changed absolutely it's, everything. And then everything. I could, it changed everything. It changed how I related to people. It changed how I related to myself, which then changed all of my relationships because of Jesus. Yeah. 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 It really changed our whole family. Otherwise, you're asking too much of the people around you. You're expecting too much of them. Yeah. Expecting them to uh, be Jesus and be God. Yes, I'm yes, like, what are you yeah. expecting, really? Yeah. Um, and that's a huge burden. Yeah. And no one can carry. Well, just to sort of wrap this up, I I think of Jesus. This, this is kind of, if you want to four steps. I'm not really into steps, but it just kind of, <laughs> this is a flow Receive the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus, which is not like the love of man. It, you just can't even. You, he wants you to know something that passes knowledge. Like, mm-hmm. there's always some a deeper level. There's always a higher level, a wider level, mm-hmm. a, a longer level of, of that love. You will never on this side get to the depths of it. It's it's. Anyway, so receive, receive the love of Jesus. And then you are just in that position to hear him say to you, and I see Esther, I see the king, 
you know, coming to Esther, what, do, you know, what do you, what is your request? I will grant it up to half the kingdom, he says, up to half the kingdom. You know what that says to me? And this is a picture of Jesus. It's like Jesus saying, we're co-heirs up to half the kingdom. If I, you own as much as I do. You go back and look at Esther. That's what he says, up to half the kingdom. And then he goes back, I think it's in chapter 9, he says, what is your further request? I mean, he asks this question multiple times, but there's one time he says, what's your further request? You can't half the kingdom of God. It's infinite. There's no measuring it. So I'm in that mode where the king is saying to me, what, what is your request? I'll grant it to you. And um, then I ask. But before I ask, that asking actually has two things going on. It's me imagining first. Is just go ahead, like I said, let loose. And I take each of my children. And I just, what, what is the best life that they could possibly have? And even he gives me pictures, specific pictures for my kids. I see them down the road. I see them a little older. I love to go through that exercise. I typically have kids, small kids in school. So typically I'll take a day after they start back to school and then like a day in January when we kind of start the new year. And I'll literally just kind of mark it off on my calendar as like a retreat day. I'm not doing anything around the house. I'm not running any errands. I'm not doing Really, but I literally will sit and I'll take areas of my life and Lord, like, I just love to day, take a day to daydream a couple of hours yeah. and just say this area, this is what I can imagine. What more can, I mean, I can't wait to see you do so much more than abundantly more than that. Cause that's your heart. Yeah. So for my children and my marriage and just anything I'm a part of and any area of our life, like, this is what I can imagine. This is, I want to see you take it more than that. Mm. Mm. And it's just, it is such a, like a time where it just, I just, even today reading over all these notes, it was just like a bath in hope Yeah. of, I can put, he just, he is so much more than I can mm. hope or imagine. It is, this is a fun and exciting ride that I'm on, that I get to, the Lord has brought me, that I can partner with him on this. And yeah. I love to take that. He does give us our wildest dreams and imaginations. And let's just enjoy that for a minute and yeah. see where he can go. I, I've always, I've been talking this way for a long time. You know, do we sound crazy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you talk <laughs> like this. <laughs> <laughs> you might be crazier than we are. <laughs> Is it, were you going to say something? No. Okay. No, listen to you. But, um, I love talking crazy, you know, because yes. I don't, it's like, you know, it's like socialism is a pie, you know, and, and, and so if you take a piece of the pie, that means less for me. I don't think like that. No, it's not. No, I mean, it, the, it's abundantly more, abundantly more, abundantly right. more. It just right. keeps going infinitely more, yeah. more, more treasure to discover of the Lord. So, and, the, and, and I can't wait to, to see what all he unfolds and unpacks. Well, when one of my kids was younger and I would talk like this, that child would say, you're not being realistic. <laughs> what reality are you talking about? You right. know? I mean, I think that the problem we have is time. When there too much time passes, 
then people, you know, you're not being real. But, oh, my goodness, can I tell you how much I've learned about waiting on God Mm -hmm. and time and how he hasn't, if it's a promise, he hasn't said no. Yeah. Timing is up to him. I mean, maybe it's a good time to segue into Kairos. Right. Those are, those are the thoughts I was having this morning. Just thinking about how long Abraham and Sarah had to wait. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of time. Yep. To think, yeah, that's not realistic. And that, I probably didn't hear that right. Yeah. Well, anybody praying for things that you've been praying for for a long time? <laughs> right. <laughs> I think we can relate. Um Kairos was a word that exploded on me last week. And this is one of the at least four words in the New Testament translated time or season or some word having to do with with Mm. time. And I found a few definitions in just like, you know, Secular dictionaries, not concordances, but um, so it is, you know, it's a Greek word. It means a time when conditions are right for the accomplishment of a crucial action. The opportune and decisive moment was one of the definitions. Another, um, the right time, another definition, and this is, this is from Strong's uh, concordance, a time or season representing a Fitting season or opportunity and occasion, fairs, which is a great, great source um, resource. The root word is kara, which means head or summit, and it's universally understood to mean a certain or fixed time, the right time, the appointed time. Um, it's. I like this one right here. What time brings. Um, it's an epic wait that you're waiting for. It's an opportune time. So Kairos um, has to do with waiting because we don't know. This is up to God. Kairos moments. If, you know, well, we can create our own, right? Right. <laughs> we can just say, now I'm gonna. Now is the time. I'm, I, you know, and those are the. That, that's like the Ishmaels, right? Right. You're not waiting for the Isaac. Right. Right. Yeah. Fourteen years of living with your Kairos before the promised child arrives. Right. Yeah, and I was just reading John seven seven, which is was in your notes too. Yeah. Like the role's all about make it happen. Yeah. Go out and do it. You know. Exactly. Force it. Yeah, yeah, and that John 7, uh, this is when Jesus' brothers are saying, hey, now's your time, you know, going mm-hmm. out there, do your miracles, do your mm-hmm. stuff. Start your public ministry. Yeah, yeah, why are you helping? Nobody stays, you know, behind the scenes mm-hmm. when they're famous. Right. You know, and they didn't believe. That was the problem. They didn't believe. And Jesus was like, it's not my time. And he's like, it's your time. I mean, if you want to m- make a time, any time will do for you because if all you want is 
public recognition or the approval mm-hmm. of man, hey, any time will do. Just go right. for it. You're ready for that. Yeah. We're all ready for that. So the flesh well is always ready. So well put. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when it's God's time, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like, you know, you know in your heart. You're just, it's, I'll do what, Jesus said he only did what he saw the Father doing. He mm-hmm. said what he heard the Father say. And he is our example. He, But not it's not a, a work on our part. It's just live. Live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that includes self-control, you know, patience. Mm-hmm. So I had some notes in here from a, a, a commentator, and I just loved it. It's Hebrew Word Study by Skip Moen, and I'm just going to read some of this. Is that okay with you all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of boring to read, but... No, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'll I'll try to read with inflection so it's not too boring. (laughs) All of us have a limited amount of chronos, chronos time, okay? That's the time you can measure. That's the hours, the minutes, the days, the months. That's you live, excuse me, you're born, you live, you die. It's measurable, you know, certain number of years. That's chronos. But Kairos doesn't work like that. Kairos is that is that moment when everything aligns, when all the circumstances come together, when what we were meant to do happens. It's that moment I become myself. Kairos moments can happen anytime in Kronos. So this you brought up John seven seven when his brothers are telling him to go ahead and do his magic tricks mm-hmm. and become famous. Right. Um, and his answer to them, it's a, it, uh, this guy writes, Yeshua's comment demonstrates a clear understanding of purpose. Jesus understood his purpose. His kairos comes when his purpose is fulfilled. When he said, it is finished, that was a kairos statement, not a chronos declaration. Everything in Jesus' life led up to that exact moment when everything would be fulfilled. But you have other Kairos moments of Jesus' life. His birth was a Kairos moment. The cross was a Kairos moment. The resurrection was a Kairos moment. Purpose is the current of Kairos. And that is when you know... First, you have to know God, and you have to believe that he is. And then you have to realize that you, yourself, are a part of his overall purpose and his overall plan. And that the alignment of things coming together, like Jesus' birth, there was a lot. You can read the whole Old Testament. There's a ton of alignment that had to come together Mm -hmm. for that due time, in due time. He was he was born, and that's no different than you and I. I mean, we're we're not saving the the world as in giving. You know, we're not we're not Jesus, but we're critical to to God's universe and the purpose. 
and I think that knowing your purpose is going to keep you from the Ishmaels. Knowing God and knowing that there's a purpose for you. And knowing God means you can hear him. You go with that wisdom, that path of peace, and that is the go, you know, go with the, the, the presence of peace if there's the absence of peace. But you got to get to know what that feels like. you got to get to know what that is. Mm-hmm. This is between you and God. You know, is that you are, there, there's not a peace about it. And peace is Jesus. He is Amen. peace. Amen. And that's just knowing his thoughts and his ways and getting in that, that groove of the way he works. And you're going to go against the grain if you do that. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have peace going against the grain. Yep. There's a supernatural peace that comes with you knowing I'm exactly where I need to be because this is what my father has planned for me. Mm -hmm. And I have the Holy Spirit here and I'm at peace, even though I'm going against Mm -hmm. the current Mm -hmm. of the world. Yeah. You have, you do feel a supernatural Mm -hmm. peace come about you. That's you're okay with Mm -hmm. that and being set apart and not like everybody else. Mm -hmm. So here were some of my notes about that John 7, and, and I'm going to read it in the, in the message. His brother said, why don't you leave here and go, go up to the feast so your disciples can get a good look at the works you do? No one who intends to be publicly known does everything behind the scenes. If you're serious about what you're doing, come out in the open and show the world. The New Living says, go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you could do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Back to the message. His brothers were pushing him like this because they didn't believe in him either. Jesus came back at them and said, Don't pressure me. This isn't my time. It's your time. It's always your time. You have nothing to lose. (laughs) I love Mm -hmm. that. It's like, you know, I mean, what he's saying is, makes no difference. Yeah, it makes no difference. You're not cutting against the grain. Any time's yeah. a good time for you. Right. Just go right ahead. Right. You got nothing to lose. I got everything to lose. It's going to cost me everything to go with the Father's time on this. Um. The New King James says, "He says my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready." And that word "ready." is a Greek word that means to be prepared to be ready. Jesus is making a contrast between himself and his brothers. He would not budge without the Father's direction. This is just my notes. I mean, you know, I don't know. Sometimes y'all can't. Can you follow what I do in my notes? I mean, okay, because mm-hmm. I try to color code. But but I'm just, I'm getting this deep inside myself because I'm like, okay, get comfortable going against the grain. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> He wouldn't budge without his father's direction because his readiness for his Kairos time would be determined by God. Their, quote, readiness for their Kairos moment wasn't dependent on God's timing. When you lack a sense of divine purpose, any time will do for whatever you do. The Passion says, Jesus says, my time of being unveiled hasn't yet come, but any time 
is is a suitable opportunity for you to gain man's approval. You lack a sense of purpose. This is my words. A sense of purpose and destiny or expectation of God's promises for the future. You're ready at any time to accept man's approval and go about your life as if nothing really matters. You don't understand how God works. Any time is fine with you because you don't have a sense of God's timing. Now, I'm just commentating here. I don't have anybody in mind. I just, those people, and I I have had people push me. Come mm-hmm. on, come on. Get out there and do it. Come mm-hmm. speak. Come And God said, you're down. You're down. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how long. Mm-hmm. I'm years into it. After going doing all these things, it's like, mm-hmm. nope. You, I want you to get to know me. Mm-hmm. I want you to stop. Go deep. Mm-hmm. And so that that's where I am. I'm wait, his timing for everything. Uh, again, this you aren't really prepared for anything except the status the status quo. You may as well just go here or there, driven by the traditions of men without any sense of your part in the alignment of God's plan. There's no reason for you to wait on God, so, you know, or, or to do anything or to counter a narrative or, you know. Um, and some, I, I find myself even, you know, more and more and more in a unique position. <laughs> Because the longer this goes, the more out of a box I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, I feel like in a sense that there's a shaking going on. Anything that can be shaken will be shaken so that only that which can't be shaken is what remains. Amen. Yeah. Um, okay, back to this other guy's notes. I just thought his were so good. Um, Jesus' remark about Kairos to those opponents, is informative. They lack awareness of divine purpose. Any moment is their moment, basically, is what he's saying. Um, The key here is to be ready, to be, you know, he's like, you're ready anytime. But for us, when we're waiting on God's kairos, the key is to a readiness that comes from intimacy with him, a readiness that comes from walking in step with him. It, because it is the moment when everything conspires to bring about a desired end. Kairos is what we are looking, really looking for in the promises of God and in our own hopes and dreams. The rest is routine, the chronos of existence. Of course, a great deal of chronos might be necessary before everything lines up, but the moment that matters is that arrival point most of the time, we aren't even aware of this moment speeding towards us at the pace of life. Most of the time, we're caught in the ordinary, the repetitious, the grind. We fail to see that the alignment is taking place constantly. And then suddenly, when we look in hindsight, we realize that all of, you know, everything had, nothing could have happened any sooner than it actually happened because. God's lining up so much more than we can see. You got thoughts? Um, I I feel like I have, I've experienced this with the writing. Um, I mean, like years ago, we were still in Georgia. I mean, I like had this like almost audible moment where I 
felt like I heard God say, write it down. And I'm like, okay, I'll start writing. Um, and then, you know, forced several projects through that weren't, mm. they were my Ishmael's. They weren't yeah. like, they weren't it. Right. Um, but then, um, but then when, when this latest writing project came about, like everything lined up, I mean, like in amazing ways, I mean, not just my thoughts, but situations and people and everything that I needed, it was, I mean, it, it was the right one. Yeah. Um, not, not the others that are, that are forced and your motivation too tells you a lot. You know, am I doing this to, you know, get this or get that? Like, is there an ulterior motive? Um, or, you know, or do I just, am I feeling pressured by others? You right. know, whatever. Right. Um, to know whether it's really, whether you're on the right path or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I think the, one of the most important things that we can do is learn what true rest is mm-hmm. and operate from that place. Mm-hmm. And that is a place of seated, you know, in heavenly places. And, you know, that's above the the word den. Is that a word? You're a writer. Um, like den being noise. Mm-hmm. That's the words coming to mind. Oh. Anyway, it's a place up above all the chatter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where... His voice could be louder. It could be still a small voice, but mm-hmm. get to know his voice mm-hmm. and let our ears be in tune to that and uh, mm-hmm. speak to our soul. You know, the master says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And we, and, and when Mark and I were praying this morning, I just, I spoke those words. Those are the master's words. I speak those words mm-hmm. and my soul goes, so, Kathy, when I uh, was texting you and you were formulating an email to me, mm-hmm. it was it was regarding a book that you're reading, mm-hmm. and it's called Confessions. Confessions is it about mm-hmm. confessing sin. Um, <laughs> yes, actually, <laughs> actually, it is. Well, actually, it's someone's writings that that lived a long time ago. Yeah, about four hundred ish. No, three hundred. Yeah, he lived in the before Boethius, um, Saint Augustine. Yeah, that's who we're talking about. Right, right. No, Saint Augustine was a prodigal. Mm-hmm. He was a prodigy, but he was also a prodigal. Right, right, <laughs> right. Very much so. <laughs> and um, I'll just read some of the quotes that you sent me. Um, and this is his writings. Mm-hmm. He's speaking. Um, God's. It's you, God, stretched out your hand from on high and rescued my soul from this dark world because my mother, Mm -hmm. who was devoted to you, wept more tears for the death of my soul than ever mothers weep for their children's bodily death. And I I just wrote, and this isn't a good way to say this. I mean, I have five kids. We've been through sicknesses. We've never been at death's door. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, with any of my kids. Right. But we've had some scares. You know, I, a child's deception is a far worse thing than a, than a physical illness. Mm-hmm. Because it has such eternal ramifications. It ha- and it also just, it has, it's life and death. 
mm-hmm. spiritual life and death. And you know, and you've always heard this, and it's absolutely true that the number one miracle, it's not healing of a physical body. Mm-hmm. The number one miracle is our salvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That moment that we went from darkness to light and faith was ignited and we born again. Mm-hmm. No greater miracle. Mm-hmm. I think it's the only one that the Bible talks about, you know, the celebration in heaven that will, that takes place over yeah. that event. I don't know. Don't know if I've read anything about like oh and that person was healed and there was a big mm-hmm. celebration in heaven, physical healing. Right. I don't. It's not the same. Oh, I mean that that's a provision for us this side of the cross. But absolutely. But but eternal life is eternal, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the big celebration when when the shepherd goes, the good shepherd goes and gets the lost lamb and brings mm-hmm. the lamb home on his shoulders, and there's a celebration in heaven. Mm-hmm. The angels are rejoicing. Yeah. Talk about like a like a Kairos yeah. moment that is, I mean, multi-dimensional, so to speak. You have heaven celebrating mm-hmm. everything coming together for that moment. Mm-hmm. The trajectory of the future of the earth is changed because of one person yeah. becoming to know Jesus. Yeah. Families are changed, generations are changed from that point oh, yeah. on. It's so it's a it's a Kairos moment that is so multi-dimensional mm-hmm. here on earth, here on heaven multi-generational all coming together this intersecting at this mm-hmm. one point mm-hmm. provided by the cross really Ti- it, tied to the cross oh, provided absolutely. by the cross absolutely and outside of time in eternity these things are already done right but i want to go back to just the alignment of kairos mm-hmm. and the chronos of lives yeah. coming together and god's Working in ways we can't see. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, when your kids are growing, you can't see. Mm-hmm. You can't see what they're doing. I, I, actually, I remember, because I homeschooled, I remember the first time I sent a child to school. Because I did both. I was like, oh, I can't see her. Mm-hmm. She's sitting in a desk somewhere. And I can't see her. Like, I've been seeing her every minute of every day, except when, you know, maybe I went on a trip and left her with grandparents. I mean, it's just, that was such a weird thing for me. But, boy, mm-hmm. multiply that times a million when they're grown-ups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But God can see them. But he's working in their lives. Right. He worked in our lives. Right. Right. Right? Yep. Yes. I had an epiphany at 45. You had an epiphany at 45. I had one right. at 30. Oh, my goodness, huge, yeah. groundbreaking at age 30. Right. My mother didn't know where I was. I mean, mm-hmm. she knew where I lived. <laughs> right. Right. She couldn't see me. She got to see the change later. But <laughs> then he, he tells about his mother's dream. Now, tell me about his mother's dream. I, I, I have that also uh, from the source that I was reading about St. Augustine. But did you understand the dream? Yeah, the dream's a little vague, and I only... I think I've only read it through once, but something about she's standing somewhere and he's standing someplace else, and and he he's the one that comes to her, not her to him. Which and her, she felt very strongly that that was God showing her that yeah. that he's the one that's going to you know leave paganism and come to Christianity, not the other way around. Yet yeah, the dream's not super clear yeah yeah 
I mean, his language is archaic for us. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's it's not easy reading. Well, I'm reading a new version that okay. I highly recommend. Um, somebody named O'Rourke um, has translated it recently um, on a level. His goal was that every 16 year old could understand it. So I'm I'm I wonder, just like because yeah, some of your quotes me. were a little <laughs> bit were a little bit more easy reading probably, than my quotes. Probably, yeah, yeah. That I had I had sent back to you, but. About nine years would pass before her dream was realized. Mm-hmm. And, and I know in, in my rendition, it says in, he was standing right there with her. Mm-hmm. And it was like Jesus showing her, or mm-hmm. God showing her how yeah. this was all going to be resolved. And right. gave, gave, her, gave her signs along the way mm-hmm. that her prayers were being, even being answered but, and would ultimately be answered. Right. Okay, so nine years would pass before her dream was realized, years in which, St. Augustine says, I was rolling around in the mire, stuck in the dark world of false beliefs. Yet all this time, my mother, this sensible, single-minded, devoted widow, a widow close to your heart, speaking to God, never ceased from prayer. Oh, good and all-powerful one, you care for each of us as if we alone existed. I love that. Mm. I love that too. And there was a bishop that she went to, mm-hmm. you know, before Augustine. Her, her Ishmael moment, really. Yeah, you're exactly yeah. right. She's, she's like, like, you go talk I, to my I, son. You, I need to, I need to yeah. start fixing this myself. And you're a good man and you go talk to him. Exactly. That's what I picked yeah. up on with that yeah. too. And and uh, he says to her, you know, he's, you know God will God will do it, you know, but he said, be sure of this. It is not possible that the son for whom so many tears have been shed should be lost. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And so I had, uh, when you sent me that, one of my Kairos moments was finding this book when I moved into this house three years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. After living in the other house for 19 years, and uh, during that period of time, my mother passed away, and my dad sent me all her theology books, and you know, she just I had like 20 boxes full of books, and I never had gone through them. It had been years, and uh, I'd found a few here and there. But when we moved here, I was like. I'm pulling them all out. I'm going to alphabetize them. I'm a build, I actually bought bookshelves to put them in, mm-hmm. and I found a treasure, and it's a book called Prodigals and Those Who Love Them by Ruth Bell Graham, mm-hmm. and probably 20 years before, I mean many years before, uh-huh. my mom had that book on the shelf in her house, and I pulled it down, and all my kids were young at the time, but there was a poem right at the beginning before the chapters even begin. I didn't know what the book was even about, except for it was about prodigals. And she, it, it, you know, the background is her own son, Franklin. You know, that was her prodigal. But mm-hmm. but this poem that I read in that book, I had tried to find it online. I couldn't find it. I was like, what's the name of that book? What, what, you know, I, I just, I wanted the poem. Right. And I pulled that book out, and I was like, this is the book I've been looking for for years. And here's the poem. Right before any of the chapters begin, it's called They Felt Good Eyes Upon Them. They felt good eyes upon them and shrank within undone. Good parents had good children, and they a wandering one. 
The good folk never meant to act smug or condemn, but having prodigals just wasn't done with them. Remind them gently, Lord, how you have trouble with your children, too. (laughs) I got goosebumps with that one. That's a good one. (laughs) So, Monica, every, every time we've had one of these podcasts, we have come back around to praying for young, the younger generations. Mm-hmm. And I just sense in my heart that there are many, many, many families in pain right now. Mm-hmm. Many moms are praying. Many dads are praying. Mm-hmm. And there's kids out there that, um, you know, maybe we're like St. Augustine. He, you know, his mother, uh Out of Ruth Bell Graham's book, she wrote, His devout mother, Monica was her name, Mm. taught her young son carefully and prayerfully. His brilliance concerned her deeply when especially as a young man, he cast off his simple faith in Christ for current heresies and a life given over to immorality. That's, boy, same song, thousandth verse today. Later, Augustine wrote, I could not distinguish between the clear shining of affection and the darkness of lust. I could not keep within the kingdom of light where friendship binds soul to soul, and so I polluted the brook of friendship with the sewage of lust. So he went way off, way off mm-hmm. into some, some heresies, to an immoral lifestyle. And drunkenness, I mean, everything. Right. The book's not graphic or anything, but he mentions it a lot. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Gathering this was a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it went on for nine years. Yeah. So that's a lot of time. He wrote this I thought was really interesting. The loss of faith occurs when the senses first awaken. At this critical moment when nature claims us for her service. Now, I think he's talking about puberty there. Mm -hmm. That's what I gathered. Mm -hmm. When nature claims us for her service, the consciousness of spiritual things is, and I don't know if I agree with him about this, but in his case, it was certainly true. Because he says in most cases, you know, I don't know. The consciousness of spiritual things in most cases is either eclipsed or totally destroyed. It is not reason which turns the young man from God. It is the flesh. I agree with that 100%. Right? Skepticism but provides him with the excuses for the new life he is leading. And so there is this skepticism. Now, I think that questioning is fine. I I think we need to be okay. We need to be merciful, as Jude says. Be merciful to those who doubt. We, as parents and as mentors or whatever we are, teachers, we a person having doubts is normal, mm-hmm. and especially when they're young mm-hmm. and they're coming to faith on their own. Mm-hmm. But, but I think that, that we haven't been comfortable with that. I, when I read that from your quotes, um, from your notes, yeah. it was like, it really hit me because first 
first the person has, you know, chosen an immoral lifestyle, and then they turn around and question the existence of God based on their personal experiences. Yeah. Which is, you know, which is, um, I can't remember, it's empiricism okay. is when we, when we're collecting knowledge based on our personal experiences. So does God exist? Well, let me look at my own life and see if there's evidence. But it, but if your own life is right off kilter, then you can't use that as the just, because then, then the conclusion is, well, there is no God because my life's not working out. Right. But that's, I think that's what he's saying when he writes that. <clears throat> so it becomes a rationalization. Yeah. Um, because you've made the wrong turn in the first place doesn't mean God doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, you got Monica praying. So many tears. And yet it literally happens that his Bible falls open, you know, to to a, a scripture in Romans 13 about putting off the things of darkness and 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 it was just at that moment that light penetrated he saw it. He could never unsee it. It, it just, it happened. Such mm-hmm. a miracle. Mm-hmm. And I just keep hearing miracle stories like that, like unpersuadable, totally locked in. Right. And, you know, usually it's precipitated by some sort of soul disturbance. Mm-hmm. Because it, you can only go that way for so long. Especially, I think, if somebody's praying for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, like Monica, you know, was not going to let this go. Right. And I'm sure that, that that just, those prayers were just causing a vibration <laughs> to stir him. Right. And I uh, just absolutely love his story. And uh, he says, and I, I thought this, this is where things dovetail, okay? So we've been talking about Kairos and certain moments happening, and you know that God just aligned this thing for Augustine to Romans uh, 13, 13 was the actual reference. But um, here are his words speaking. He says, my eyes, the section to which my eyes first fell, quote, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord, put ye on the Lord, Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh. He wrote, No further would I read, nor need it, for instantly at the end of this sentence, by the light, as it were, of serenity infused into my heart, all the darkness of doubt vanished away. Mm-hmm. I love that. Then we go in to tell my mother. We tell her she rejoices, and we relate in order how it took place. She leaps for joy, and this is another place that this story dovetails, mm-hmm. is that what did his mother, what, what is said of, of his mother? She says this, she blessed you, you who are able to do more than we ask or think. For she perceived that you had given her more for me and that than she was wont to beg by her pitiful and most sorrowful groaning. And he did go on to more than meet all of her prayers and dreams for him. Right. It's an awesome story. 
And today, hundreds of years later, yeah, people are still reading. Are still reading and still learning. Absolutely. And this is, I guarantee you, more than she could hope or imagine. She could never even imagine yeah. three yeah. women sitting here. And precious oh. Monica, she's in the great cloud of witnesses. Yes. So is Augustine. Yeah. They're cheering us on today. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you think it's such an unusual thing for God to save a lost person? Right. That's <laughs> what he does. Right. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, and he was wrapped up in way more than just, you know, fleshly immorality. Yeah. I mean, he was, because he's so brilliant. Yes. He gotten all into all these different theologies and you know, thinking that um, if we were made in God's image, then God must be a must be flesh and blood like us. Like he could not imagine a spiritual anything. I mean, so he had a lot of he had a lot of things he had to um, to move past to get to that point. Mm. Not just the you know sin and physical sin in his life. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lord, just thank you so much for this sweet and precious time today. Lord, I just pray that. More than we could hope or imagine that this conversation would just go on and resonate um, with those that you have handpicked and hand-selected to hear it uh, for such a time as this, Lord. Um, Lord, I just pray for the families that have a prodigal that um, I was so struck by the poem that Trisha read by Ruth um, Graham, that the families that maybe have feel like they have done, they have they have looked to you, Lord. They have raised their children according to you and your purposes, and they have a prodigal's child. And not only do they feel the loss of that child, but they also feel, Lord, that they feel the eyes upon them, that they feel um, the enemy is trying to put shame and guilt on them. And Lord, I just pray right now that they would see the cross, see that you took all shame on the cross, Lord, that they would be comforted by the fact that you had picked them. It was not a mistake that you picked them to raise their child, Lord, and that they would just have faith and hope just welling up inside of them, Lord, to be praying for their child and just a hope that can only come from you, Jesus, a supernatural peace, that they would know that they know that they know that that child is taken care of, that child is loved, that you, Lord, are on the pursuit for that child and that they know that they know that they know that you will be successful bringing that child home, Lord, and what a joyous celebration it will be unlike any other more than they could ever hope and imagine at the rest, just the right moment. I agree with that. Also, Lord, I just want to pray that we, everyone, involved in this conversation, listening to it, you would give us an awareness of the fact that we are part of your overall plan, that we each have a purpose, that you are working in ways that we can't see, whether it be for our children or our husbands or our parents or our own lives, Lord, that... um, We're living in time, but you have things outside of time that you have planned, that you're orchestrating, that you're setting everything up in an alignment so that at just the right time and in due time, we will reap a harvest 
if we just don't give up, if we just trust you and we wait and we continue to feed ourselves with hope and encouragement and live in expectation of good because that's what you have planned for us is good. And I also, Lord, I know because I feel it in my heart stronger every day that there is a great Kairos time, an opportune time ahead of us for a revival and for a great awakening to Jesus, especially for young people who have been so swept away in deception, just like Augustine was. But you're lining things up right now, Lord, for a tsunami of grace, a tsunami awakening where those lost children are going to be brought home, where whole families are going to be saved, where there's going to be massive restoration of all that's been lost or stolen. I believe we're on the brink of it, and I see people coming to us and saying, what must I do to be saved? And, Lord, you have prepared us. You have made us ready for that. We want to walk in step with your Spirit. We don't want to go ahead of your timeline. We trust you, but use us, Lord. Send us, Lord, in whatever capacity you have uh, planned for each one of us. And we're going to have to do it by faith. We're going to have to step out there and just trust you. Sometimes it feels like stepping off a cliff. Um, But those Kairos moments sometimes require uh, those steps of faith. Sometimes it's a step of faith to do nothing, and some of us are doing that right now as we wait. And uh, we just trust you. We're putting our lives in your hands, but I pray for an awareness of purpose and an infusion of understanding that the great Kairos at the end, Jesus, when you return, that everything we do is leading up to that, that we're a part of your plan. And I thank you for that. We just give all glory to Jesus and pray that the words that we have spoken today will reach the right hearts at the right time in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. A Real View is brought to you by Parousia, a ministry devoted to boldly sharing the gospel of God's grace, freely offered to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Visit ParisiaMinistries.com for teachings and testimonies, as well as information on how you can order Trisha Gunn's highly acclaimed book, Unveiling Jesus, a verse-by-verse foundation of the message of grace. This show is made possible by the generous financial support of people like you who love this message of grace. Your tax-deductible gift to Parisia is greatly appreciated.